Welcome back in everyone to a fabulous new Whisper in the Wings from Stage Whisper. We are once again heading over to New Jersey and to the wonderful Paper Mill Playhouse, where today we are joined by the co-director and choreographer Dominique Kelly and the co-director Jen Bender, who are joining us to talk to us about the Paper Mill Playhouse's presentation of After Midnight. It's playing now through February 25th, and you can get your tickets and more information by visiting papermill.org. We are very, very excited about bringing you this show. For those of you who maybe don't know a lot about this show, it's got some great, great music, some wonderful jazz music, and incredible dancing, along with a fabulous story. So we're excited to hear more about that, and the perfect people who can fill us in on all of this is our guest. So let us welcome in Dominique Kelly and Jen Bender. Welcome to Whisper in the Wings from Stage Whisper. Hello. Hi, thank you for having us. I'm so excited to have the both of you here. This is so wonderful. And what a great show to be talking about after midnight. Truly one of my favorite shows musically alone. It was a bummer that I did not get to see it during its Broadway run, but I'm so happy that it's found such great success beyond Broadway. Now here it is at the Paper Mill Playhouse. And the two of you at the helm of it. This is so fantastic. So Dominique, why don't I start with you first on this? Can you tell us a little bit about what After Midnight is about? After Midnight is a joyous celebration of jazz music, the Harlem Renaissance, the Cotton Club, the 1930s. It is basically African-American history, which is American history, which, you know, began in the hotbed of Sugar Hill, uptown Manhattan, where... Duke Ellington was playing and Lena Horne was singing and Betsy Smith was wailing and, you know, Louis Armstrong was playing his trumpet and then we had James Baldwin and Langston Hughes and it was just rife with culture and liberation and intelligence and innovation and invention and we were so thrilled to be able to try to package that up in a nice energetic 90 minute piece for everybody to come witness, absorb, and enjoy. I love that. What a perfect synopsis. Oh, sold. Jen, I'm curious to know, how did you all come upon this piece? Well, I wear two hats in this production because in addition to co-directing the show with Dom, I'm also the associate artistic director at Paper Mill. So I'm part of season planning every year and after Midnight is a show that had been on our list as something we really wanted to explore, but we hadn't found, you know, the perfect team to put it together. And then Paper Mill was lucky enough to meet Dom when he came to choreograph The Great Gatsby. And that was the first time I met Dom and Mark Kobe, our producing artistic director, and I were saying, wait, Dominic could be the perfect person to do this show. So it was really exciting to start to have conversations with Dom. We didn't know each other when the planning for the show started. And then Mark introduced us and we started this co-directing journey together, which was great. So that's how we both came to this project and also how the project came to Paper Mill. But like all things, you know, as a theater is planning its season, there's a long journey as to why shows are picked and how they come to be and how those teams come to work on each individual show. So this is a good example of sort of what that process looks like, I think, at its best, 
which is the show having a goal about the types of shows it wants to include in its programming and then finding the creatives who can really see that vision through. And then of course the creatives cast the show and it just keeps expanding. It's like, you know, throwing a pebble in a pond. That is fantastic. Well, jumping back to you, Dominique, then I'm curious to know, I mean, I loved how you incorporated or you, you know, you basically called it, it's the Harlem Renaissance. It's the story of the Harlem Renaissance. So with such rich history and music and substance involved, what has it been like developing this piece? It's almost been like a full circle moment because uh, my first professional endeavor was when I was 12 and I was cast in Black and Blue, the European tour. So that was all about, you know, Harlem Renaissance. So basically, I guess I was imprinted from a young age. This show, working on the show was fast and furious, but the great thing was it was kind of instinctual. It was second nature. It was in the bones and in the ancestry and in the DNA that it was like a friend that I haven't talked to in a long time, but we jumped on the phone and we were on the phone for five hours. And especially collaborating with Jen, it was like the most luxurious vomiting of beautiful ideas. And it was like a faucet, you know what I mean? It was like a Harlem Renaissance faucet that you couldn't turn off. And it was wonderful being in a moment where you're like, I don't know what this is. I know what it's not, but I can't wait to see what it's going to be at the end of the day. And that's what most of the pieces were. We did not have a framework. We went to the studio and was like, okay, let me listen to the music. Let's see who we have and let's just create. And that's exactly what it was. It, it was such a privilege to approach something that was already done and reimagining it in a way that felt authentic to us as well as the period. I think we also had an initial concept that then directed where a lot of these ideas came from and where they went because the Broadway production all took place on stage at the Cotton Club. And when Dom and I first started talking about this together, we both said we really wanted to infuse Harlem as a character in the show. So we expanded the idea of it, not just being on the stage at the Cotton Club, but also embracing the street outside the Cotton Club, what's happening while they're setting up for the show in the Cotton Club. So I think once we said we really want to focus on the Harlem component of the Cotton Club story, that really steered a lot of the decision-making. That is fascinating. I love all that. So we get to see literally not just the world of in the Cotton Club, but the world all around as well. That's wonderful. Well, kind of snowballing off of that, I'm curious to know from both of you, what is the message or thought you're hoping the audiences will take away from the show? And Jen, why don't we stick with you first on this? I think we definitely want to capture the excitement and the excellent artistry that was happening at that time so that Harlem Renaissance doesn't feel like a historical time. It feels like it's got the same kind of excitement that someone would feel now going to see a Beyonce concert or anyone who's really the top of their performance game. That's what going to the Cotton Club would have been. So part of our approach was we wanted to find the most dynamic performers we could and really build the show on their talents. So I think it does feel like the days when you would have gone to see Lena Horne or you would have gone to see Louis Armstrong, these people who had such singular talents and performance personalities, that's something you get in this production. You really get to meet these performers on stage and see what they do that nobody else can do. So I think in that way, it does feel like the excitement and what was special about going to the Cotton Club. But I think just capturing the opulence of that time, the sophistication, 
gentrification of that time, really showing just what Black excellence of the Harlem Renaissance looked like. And I think sometimes we don't get as much representation of that time because there's just isn't as much video. And obviously there's very little video. There is a little bit. But I think we really wanted to dig into the history and just present sort of Harlem at its most artistic heights and bring that to today's audience. That's super. I love that. Dominique, what about you? You're creating this beautiful choreography as well. What is the message or thought that you're hoping audiences take away? A lot of times when we watch audiences, we are impressed by them and in awe, but we forget about their humanity. And it was important for me that you also got to greet the humans on that stage, because at the end of the day, that is the one thing that links us all is our humanity. Another thing that I wanted to show was being a womanist, you know what I mean? That women up there can hold a stage and not necessarily have to ha have to have a man up there either showing them up or let it be a male dominated piece. So I think that was one of the things that was important to us up there as well as showing queer representation because the Harlem Renaissance served as a place for queer liberation, although there were a lot of laws and regulations and morality clauses, but that's where a lot of the first drag balls took place. And a lot of the purveyors of the Harlem Renaissance were black and queer. So like, you know, you don't necessarily wanna throw trauma up there, but from the trauma and the hard circumstances bloomed and birthed a lot of wonderful art. And again, not only did we want you to be impressed by the stars that are on that stage, we wanted you at the end of the day to realize that they were humans with real lives that are also being showcased up there. That's really, really interesting. I love that. My final question for this first part of the interview is who do you hope have access to After Midnight at the Paper Mill Playhouse? And Dominique, I'm going to stick with you first on this question. Of course, I want everybody to have access because we know theater is becoming more and more expensive. And the very people that need to see this art form aren't necessarily the ones who have the privilege and the access to it. Between discounts and outreach and everything that Paper Mill is doing, I, I, my aim and my hope is that everybody gets to see this piece because it's not necessarily a museum piece. It's a piece that you go in there and you come out joyful, whether you think you like musical theater or not. And I believe also the fact that we have seven amazing Black musicians on stage, the visibility of that alone. One friend of mine brought her daughter who plays trombone and she was just like, oh my gosh, there was a woman up there playing trombone just like I do. So I feel like art is healing, but art, once you see yourself up there, you bring a piece of that home. And we hope that everybody gets to bring a piece of this joy and seeing somebody who either looks like them or does not look like them up there for them to empathize with. That is such a wonderful answer. And I love that. I love hearing that she was able to see someone on stage and just be like, oh my gosh, that could be me. That's how theater should absolutely be. Absolutely. Oh, that warms my heart. Jen, what about you? Who do you hope have access to this production? I would say one thing that's exciting me about this show is it's not a traditional book musical. There are moments of Langston Hughes poetry that happen throughout but 
it is songs and poetry and dance. And I think Paper Mill has a great history and I'm very proud of our history of putting on really spectacular musicals. But this one is a departure because it's not the typical book musical that you might think of seeing here. So I think for people who don't necessarily think they like musicals, but they love music, they're gonna love this show. If you love dance, you're gonna love this show. If you love poetry, you're gonna love this show. There's just so much for people beyond people who typically say, I love musicals. I'm really excited about jazz musicians seeing this show, students of jazz and dance and voice seeing this show. I just think this appeals to people across every age group, every platform, every artistic discipline. I think if you know nothing about theater, you could still come to this and have a phenomenal experience. Like if you like music, full stop, you will like this show. And anyone who doesn't like music, full stop, you know, is missing out on life because you just, I can't imagine being a person who didn't love music. So this show really is for everybody. And we say that a lot in the theater, like it's for ages eight to 80, but I really think this show is that. It's a show for every generation. If you have little knowledge of the Harlem Renaissance, you're gonna walk away from this feeling like you just got to live there for 90 minutes. I just think it's it's exciting because of, it's different from a lot of Broadway shows that people have seen or the type of show their high school did. It just feels like it's this really beautiful, I don't know, combo platter of music, dance, history. It's, it's so many things. So I think it it's really exciting for people who don't necessarily think musicals are for them. This is actually the perfect show for them. The second part of our interview, we love to give our listeners a chance to get to know our guests a little bit more. Pull the curtain back, if you will. And I would love to start with our perennial first question, which is what or who inspires you? What playwrights, composers, or shows have inspired you in the past or are just some of your favorites? And Jen, I'm going to start with you on this first, if I may. Well, I just saw Days of Wine and Roses, which I think is a spectacular new musical. So I'm inspired anytime I go to see a great new piece of theater. And that also extends to music and dance and all kinds of things. But I just happen to see a lot of musicals because that's what I do for a living. And to see people like Adam Gettle write that incredible score, Michael Greif do such beautiful direction, you know, Kelly, and Kelly O'Hara and Brian Darcy James giving like the performances of their careers. Whenever I see other people making incredible art that's so inspiring to me and even if I don't necessarily find something in that particular show that sort of one-to-one -one inspires the next thing I'm doing just seeing something that's great and thought-provoking really makes me excited to go do something and sometimes it's thought-provoking because I hate it sometimes I see a show and I'm like oh I hated everything about that and it reinforces the type of thing I do want to make or something I do want to do or talk about in rehearsal. So I always say the only thing I don't want from a piece of theater is to be bored. It's great if I love it. It's also great if I have a strong reaction and I don't love it because at least then I leave and I have something to talk about and think about and feel. 
So, you know, I don't have any one influence. It's sort of like what was the most recent thing I saw that I had feelings about. And in this moment, it's Days of Wine and Roses. So luckily, that's a great production of a great show that got me inspired in the good way. That is a fantastic answer. I love that. Dominique, what or who inspires you? I think music. I am one of those people that I'll hear different songs and it makes my body move in different ways. And I have such a wide array of what I like. I compare it to speaking different languages because then you go around the world and you're able to communicate with different people. With that being said, since I do a lot of work in the commercial world, whether it's like recording artists or TV, film, a whole bunch of other things, I love the cross-pollination of, you know, okay, so I'm watching a TV show. What is the story? What is the musical theater aspect that I can bring to that? And then inversely, I do musical theater and I'm like, oh, okay, so in my head, this would be a whip pan or like, oh, we want to zoom in or like, okay, we're going to do a cross. And, and, you know, basically we're just going to do a nice little cross and a wash and then it'll be like we turn the page, you know, in, in this film. And I think the fun thing is audiences have gotten so much smarter. OK, maybe not smarter. I should just say aware, aware of so many things between TV, reality, social media, the advent of, you know, a lot of technological aspects of musical theater but everybody is still craving a story. And that's why you come to musicals to, to learn about a story. Nobody really enjoys as much anymore without learning something or feeling something right after. So if I can like watch some art that makes me learn or feel something after, I'll always keep coming back to the table. And just like Jen said, a lot of, I'm inspired by a non-dancers because I love how non-dancers move because it is, without pedagogy it's without training it is literally how your body is moving to the music or or how you're moving through space also what inspires me is work that's not for me and then not only do i go away saying how it's not for me but i try to ingest it and formulate it to a way that it would speak to me and i think that's a lot of times like how i became a choreographer where I was learning under other choreographers or teachers. And I'm like, this is not fun. This is not what I want to do. Maybe I should just go and do it myself. And that's that's been happening. So I think art that is technically not for me is something that inspires me and, and lets me know like, oh, okay, there's an artist in me that craves it coming through my being also. Not only that, I will say, Sweeney Todd and Stephen Hoggett's Worth and Tommy Kale, Alex Lecamore, like friends of mine, that was chef's kiss for me. I remember going to see that hungry after an eight hour rehearsal, tired and still like awake. Basically, like I could not get enough of that. And it was really funny to hear, you know, descending opinions around me. And I was just like, I'm sorry, I'm living my best life at this musical. So that has been one thing that I still hold on to even later on is like the excellence of Sweeney Todd. Yes, amen. Say it again for the people in the back. Absolutely agree with that. Wonderful list as well. And you both have kind of touched on my next question. 
And I'm going to ask it anyway, even though I know you both have been very busy with the show, but have you seen any great theater lately that you might be able to recommend to our listeners? Of course, Dominic, we've heard from you, Sweeney Todd, which is very, very good, excellent. And of course, from Jen, you, you mentioned Days of Wine and Roses, which I agree, Kelly O'Hara and Brian Darcy James giving the performances of their careers right now. Are there any other shows either of you could recommend right now? I would definitely recommend The Connector at MCC, which is scored by Jason Robert Brown, booked by Jonathan Mark Sherman, directed by Daisy Prince. It's just always a thrill to be able to see a new Jason Robert Brown musical. And it's so excellent. It's so smart. It's so thought provoking. You know, I have thought about it for days and weeks afterward. So yeah, Days of Wine and Roses and The Connector are definitely the two on my recommendation list right now. I wish I would have seen more <laughs> after being in the studio. All I could do was go home and fall asleep. But things I've seen in the past, I saw Into the Woods because I live in LA. So I saw Into the Woods on tour at the Amundsen. Stephanie J. Block, Gavin Creel, Montego Glover, like they wore me completely out. And I will, I will say this for all the theater nerds out there. The Amundsen Theater is a cave. But that diction, baby, the diction was dictioning. And it was life-changing to know and understand every single word that came out of every artist's mouth on that stage. And I think that was also a wonderful show. I don't even know if it's still running, but that was just a life-changing show that I saw. So hopefully check it out on a PBS special. Also, you know what? Waitress. I went to the movies and saw Waitress and I thought that was done very well. I had a lot of fun watching that. And as somebody who did not get to see it on Broadway, speaking of access, it was nice to be able to go to my movie theater and be fully immersed in musical theater with a whole bunch of other musical theater lovers right there having fun, talking back to the screen, laughing, joking, cheering. So yeah, I'd recommend those. I love that. I want to ask the two of you now, what is your favorite part about working in the theater? And Dominic, can I start first with you on that? The favorite part of working in theater is immediate feedback. There is nothing like immediate feedback from an audience because, you know, in TV, music videos, a lot of those other things, you have to wait for that to come out. And then people are watching it in the comfort of their own home. So you don't quite know how people feel unless there's some kind of ratings or people go online and either trash it, bash it, lash it, or love it. With musical theater, you get in real time if something is working or not, if people are understanding it, if they're feeling it, if they're grasping onto the concept. Like there's just so many times in the show where we hear gasps and screams and cheers and people are clapping and you go like, oh, okay, they got it. They got it in real time. And I think with the advent of technology, you know, we're seeing things in real time, but basically to, you know, for the Gen Z's out there, theater is people live tweeting without using their phones. They're literally telling you how they feel in that moment while watching your art. And I think that's the beauty of musical theater. I love that so much. I might have to steal that. Theater is live tweeting without using your phone. I adore that. Thank you for that beautiful answer. Jen, how about you? What is your favorite part about working in the theater? Well, first of all, I second everything Dom just said. But for me, it's the fact that theater exists in a finite physical space. 
So if you're an author and you're writing a book, there's no limit to what you can describe or imagine. And even if you're making a film, now you can use CGI. You can shoot the thing across multiple continents over multiple years. There's an expansiveness about those two media that's exciting because it's like any idea is possible. With theater, it's happening on a given night in a physical space. And you have to figure out how you want to tell the story within those parameters. So for me, that challenge is actually what's really freeing about it because you say, oh, well, within this space, how do we want the set to look so it conveys this thing? And, you know, how are we going to convey the time period and what does lighting look like? And I think it's fun to have those big brainstorming ideas like you would for TV or film, but then you say, all right, and then how are we going to do it? Because it's not literal and it can't be literal. So you're always having to come up with ways, creative ways to do the thing that you imagine. And for me, that's what's most fun about it. Like I love anytime Dom and I would be on a call or a Zoom and one of us would say, well, I have an idea. Like I want it to be a thing like this. And it's like, oh, well, if it's like this, what if it were like this? Because we always start with the idea and what we want to tell and how that story wants to feel. But then part of the fun play of it is how are we going to do it? And that to me is really exciting to go from an abstract idea to the thing we actually see on the stage. And we know where that idea came from. And sometimes I'd be dumb. I wish we could rewind back to some of our earlier conversations. Cause I remember yeah. ideas that seem like they're no longer in the show, but they are such direct descendants of a big idea that ended up becoming a specific thing that you can see now. So that's mm -hmm. what I love so much about theater compared to, you know, I love books, I love movies, I love TV, but there's something really magical about saying, this is the amount of time and space we have. How are we gonna do it? Because it just, I think it makes you that much more creative. Yes, 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 a thousand times. The one, one thing we're really, really proud about with this production, when we started talking about doing a show that was set in the late 20s and early 30s, we said we want everything about the production to feel that real and natural. So there's no automation in the show. There are 10 actors and they do everything. They move tables on and off. There's a band on stage. There are no projections. There's no video. There are no sort of light effects. It just looks as much like we could capture what a night in the Harlem Renaissance would have been. And I actually think it ends up feeling really innovative and novel because we're used to seeing things on Broadway that are so big, that are so complicated, that use all this modern media. And then you come to see After Midnight, and it's like, oh, wait, I'm seeing musicians and singers and dancers and pieces of scenery that we see get moved around. Like it ends up feeling like it's mind-bogglingly novel because we actually don't see very much of that nowadays. Now that there's all this technology available, it doesn't mean we have to use, you know, every crayon in the crayon box just because it exists. We can still go back to basics. And I think there's something really thrilling about just how tangible and real this production and these performers are. Oh, I love that. It's literally just going the complete opposite. It's almost like the, the smaller is better. Sometimes shows with the budgets of zero end up coming with coming up with the most innovative right. ideas. So I think, you know, there's a place for huge shows with huge budgets and all the bells and whistles. And there's also an equally great place for college theater with two chairs and great performances. Yes. Budget does not mean great quality and everything. No, no, no. Don't confuse the two. Uh, but I love that answer. Thank you for that. 
Now we have arrived at my favorite question to ask guests, and I'm very excited to hear yours. And that, of course, is what is your favorite theater memory? I have a couple. One is the first time I had a down special. And Jen knows me like I love a pool of light, baby. I'm like a moth. And the first time I got a down special in a show and I was younger, I think it was when I did Bring the Noise, Bring the Funk. And that down special changed my life. It's just something as a performer, you just always dream of because you think of Fosse, you think of Cheetah Rivera, you think of Chicago, you think of like any number of amazing shows. You think of Pippin, you think of a down special. I think that, and then just looking out to the audience and then finishing the show and hitting your button and then them like jumping to their feet and applauding. There was nothing like that. And that's on stage. Now my favorite, offstage, I guess, theater memory would be, I guess, watching somebody else's magic happening on stage. And I do have to say, part of it was Harry Potter. The innovation of Harry Potter blew my mind. I'm one of those people that tries to figure out how things are done. And seven minutes in, I gave up. I just gave up and, and was just like, I'm just going to succumb to everything that's happening on that stage. And a third theater memory would be after I choreographed Oklahoma at the Denver Center for the Performing Arts, and that was the all-Black version. Watching people cry in the audience after seeing my work was another theater memory. So I think those three are the ones that come top of mind. Those are three fantastic memories. Oh my gosh. Thank you so much for sharing those. Loved those. Jen, how about you? I was thinking about when I was growing up, my parents did community theater in my hometown of Marion, Ohio. And I remember going to the theater with them, you know, probably when I was three and just watching people on stage, under the lights, in rehearsal. And I just thought it was all so magical. And I don't ever remember a time that I didn't think musical theater was just the most magical thing in the world. So that's probably the earliest memory I have is just watching people in my community get together and put on these unbelievable shows. But, you know, as an audience member, I'm sure thousands of people have said this, the opening to Lion King is iconic for every reason. I remember sitting in the audience and it's the moment where your brain says, wait, I'm seeing something beautiful and magical, but I'm also aware that there are people making the thing that's beautiful and magical. And how is this all happening at the same time? And it's really mind blowing. And I ended up being the resident director there years later. And so many people would say to me, oh my God, the beginning of Lion King, that opening number is my favorite 10 minutes I've ever seen. And I say, you know, it's only three and a half minutes, right? Like it's actually not a long sequence, but it's so powerful that in people's memory, they feel like it was this epic 10 minute thing, but it's a relatively short number, you know, as far as musical theater opening numbers go, but it's so impactful because you just, I think, see theater at its most magical, which is not only are you seeing something transformative on stage, but it's literally passing you in the aisle. It's so close you can touch it, but it's still magical. Like the close proximity doesn't make it less magical. It actually makes it more magical. And I think that's similar to what you were saying, Dom, about Harry Potter. It's like, you know, it's happening right in front of you. No one's tricking you into thinking that the thing isn't an illusion, but the fact that it's an illusion and you're staring right at it and you're totally transported is just unbelievably magical. So I probably have a million other memories, but those are sort of a personal and a like grander musical theater memory. 
I love those as well. Thank you so much for sharing those. Are there any other projects or productions that either of you have coming down the pipeline that we might be able to plug for you? <laughs> yes, I am making my choreographic debut on Broadway uh, for The Great Gatsby. So I'm super excited about that. You only get one. So I already did all of the crying and I'll probably cry some more when I see the marquee. But yeah, that is the next thing coming up that I'm stressed and very excited about. So everybody come on down to the Broadway theater when you get a chance and check us out. That is amazing. Congratulations. We cannot Thank wait you. to see the show. And we will be even more excited to know that we know the choreographer for it. So incredible. All the congrats on that. Thank you. I have to give a, a, a an excited shout out to Paper Mill's next show, which is a new musical called Gun and Powder by Angelica Cherie and Ross Baum. It's a beautiful original musical based on Angelica's family history. And I don't even want to say too much about it. I think everyone should just Google it and see what it's about and then come see it. But one of the things I love most about working at Paper Mill is we do so many world premieres and Gun and Powder actually had a previous incarnation before the pandemic, but this is going to be, there's a new creative team. There are a lot of new elements since it's original production. And it's just, this music is unbelievable. I keep telling all my friends, like, just buy a ticket and within the first 10 seconds of the show, you're going to be sold because the music and these voices are unbelievable. So definitely Gun and Powder up next to Paper Mill. And I wouldn't say that just because it's up next to Paper Mill. Like, I'm legitimately so excited for this show and for people to discover it. So yeah. do a little Googling and then come see it. Sounds amazing. Amazing. So obviously some great projects to stay tuned for some very very exciting stuff and that leads to my final question which is if our listeners would like more information about after midnight or about either of you perhaps they'd like to reach out to you how can they do so i'm on instagram at ms jen bender so you can always dm me there and if you want tickets or anything having to do with paper mill papermill.org I have a website, www.domkelley.com, and that's domkelley.com. I'm also on Instagram, domkelley, D-O-M-K-E-L-L-E-Y. So just check on there to see what's going on in life. Wonderful. Well, Dominique, Jen, thank you both so, so much for taking the time to speak with us today about this incredible production happening at Paper Mill Playhouse and just sharing everything that you did today, including those wonderful memories and these incredible upcoming projects that you have. Thank you so much today for your time. Thank, Thank you, you so for much having for having us. It's always a joy to talk about musicals and working together. Yes. Mm -hmm. <laughs> My guests today have been Dominique Kelly, the co-director and choreographer, and Jen Bender, the co-director, who are with Paper Mill Playhouse's presentation of After Midnight, playing now through February 25th 
at the Paper Mill Playhouse. You can get your tickets and more information by visiting papermill.org. We also have some contact information for our guests so that you can stay up to date on all the upcoming productions at Paper Mill, as well as all the upcoming projects and productions both our guests have that are amazing and coming down the pipeline. You'll want to stay on top of their work. We'll be posting that, as I said, in the episode description and on our social media posts. But right now, head to papermill.org, get your tickets for this incredible production of After Midnight, playing at the Paper Mill Playhouse, now through February 25th. So until next time, I'm Andrew Cortez, reminding you to turn off your cell phones, unwrap your candies, and keep talking about the theater. In a stage whisper. Thank you. If you like what you hear, please leave a five-star review, like, and subscribe. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram at Stage Whisper Pod. And feel free to reach out to us with your comments and personal stories at stagewhisperpod at gmail.com. And be sure to check out our website for all things Stage Whisper and theater. You'll be able to find merchandise, tours, tickets, and more. Simply visit stagewhisperpod.com. Our theme song is Maniac by Jazzar. Other music on this episode provided by Jazzar and Billy Murray. You can also become a patron of our show by logging on to patreon.com slash stagewhisperpod. There you will find all the information about our backstage pass as well as our tip jar. Thank you so much for your generosity. We could not do this show without you.